Welcome to the Discovering Our Scars podcast, where we have honest conversations about things that make us different. I'm Steph. And I'm Beth. I've been in recovery for 13 plus years and recently wrote a book, Discovering My Scars, about my mental health struggles, experiences, and faith. I'm a lawyer turned pastor who's all about self-awareness and emotional health because I know what it's like to have neither of those things. Beth and I have been friends for six years, have gone through a recovery program together, and when I wanted to start a podcast, she was the only name that came to mind as my co-host. I didn't hesitate to say yes, because I've learned a lot from honest conversations with Steph over the years. We value honest conversations, and we hope you do too. That's why we do this, and why we want you to be part of what we are discussing today. What is our topic today, Steph? Today, Beth, we are actually having our first guest. I'm so excited. we are having an honest conversation about my mom's not my friend. And our guest is... Dun-da-da-da! My mom, Vicky. Hey, Vicky. Hey. Happy to be here. Yay. So before we even get started, we do want to acknowledge that we know not everyone has a healthy relationship with their mom. We know some of you may not have a mom, um, may have a parental figure. So we really hope today you still can find some value in our honest conversation. Yes, that's right. And and there's always something to be taken from every Uh, from observing every relationship, whether it's one that you have, you know, directly in your life or not. So we think that this is going to be a really good conversation. So Vicki, I, I really like your daughter. I'm so happy being her friend. Why don't you want to be her friend? (laughs) That's a very interesting question. And one that we get asked, most people assume that Steph is my friend and Steph is not my friend. Steph is my daughter. And that's something we've always felt We've talked about it a lot through the years that um, I have lots of friends. I only have one daughter. And that daughter, mother-daughter relationship is far different from if Steph was my friend. And I completely agree with you, Mom. That is, to me, I only have one mom. And that is so much more important than, than the friendships in my life. Even though I love all my friends, you know, you're the top of everything. You're my mom. So I do have a question for you, Beth, though. Are you friends with your kids? No, I'm not. Actually... My mom always said the same thing to me when I was growing up, which is, I'm not your friend, I'm your mom. And just exactly what you said, you will have so many friends, but you only get one mom. And so I've, I actually have taken that same approach with my kids. I I just, they know I'm not their friend, I'm their mom, and that that's different. And it's special in its own way and for its own reasons. And sometimes, um, because I tend to be sarcastic, if they'll say, oh, well, in fact, just this week, Hannah, who is um, 15, said that she really wants to get a nose ring. And I said, no. And she said, but, but so-and-so, so-and-so's mom let her get a nose ring. And I just said, oh, I'm sorry, so-and-so's mom doesn't love her as much as I love you. But <laughs> that's a mom who wants to be a friend, in my opinion. So no offense to anybody who has a nose ring. It just, I don't think it would look right on Hannah. So it's been my position that she can't have one. And as a mom, I can take that position. I don't have to worry about, oh, this is going to damage our friendship. No, I get to set boundaries and help her set boundaries because I'm her mom. I will say like when I was younger, I remember thinking, well, that doesn't, I want to be her friend. Like, why won't she be my friend? And I didn't really understand it back then, but I totally get it now. So I think it comes with time, the understanding, because there are like my friends that are like, oh yeah, my mom's my friend. And I can see it and I get it now and how important it was that she's always been my mom. Even today, she's my mom and my business partner. Right. (laughs) Well, I've had that same relationship with my mother. My mother is 88 and she's never been my friend. She's my my cheerleader, my champion. Um, It's someone she still will say, I'm proud of you. 
Your friends may say that, but coming from your mom, even at 65, and she's 88, is so incredibly powerful for me. I mean, I just just value that when she says, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Also, friends can come and go, and moms can't, right? Friends can be for a season. Friends can be you know, situational, you're in school together, or you're in a, an organization together, but no, mom is always there. Why do people want their mothers to be their friend? What is, what is that appeal? I think what I see in parents and teenagers sometimes is teenagers can be rough on you, right? They, they can be rough and some parents really want to be liked mm-hmm. and not just by their, not just by the world and not just by coworkers or whatever, but by their own children. And they think, oh, if we're friends, it means that they like me. And I think you just have to be secure enough in your own self to know I'm making the right decisions for my kids. And there are going to be times they don't like the boundaries that I set and that that's okay because I'm their mom. I'm not their friend. Being a mom is, I mean, it is hard. I mean, there's a lot of times where you are not liked and get that cold shoulder treatment. It's, it's tough. So I, I understand it. For those who maybe haven't listened to every episode of the podcast, I just want to sort of give an encapsulated summary of, of your story. And I want you to, to tell me what I get wrong. That's, that's okay to jump in. So you were abused when you were two, five, and about 10. And all of the memories of that basically got repressed. And when you were a teenager, you started engaging in non-suicidal self-injury after being diagnosed with depression and that non-suicidal self-injury was not something that you talked to your mom about. And the way that you've described it to me is I could tell my mom anything. I could tell my mom anything and I knew it would be okay, but I, I couldn't tell her that until I was ready. It was not any, it wasn't anything to do with mom, right? It was your own. Well, I knew it would affect her effect. I knew it would have an effect on the whole family and I knew she would do something right away. I hadn't fully worked it out. So I didn't want to put that burden on my mom, I think is what is why it took me so long is I knew, I knew how big this was and I didn't want to hurt my mom with that. So I was almost trying to protect her feelings since I hadn't figured out fully my stuff yet. And I never really fully figured it out. I just was forced to tell her because I knew if I left for school without dealing with this, that bad things would happen. That was such a powerful moment that I still can exactly put myself in that place, sitting in the car in front of Sonny's about 11 o'clock in the morning. You're wearing long sleeves and you're telling me, mom, I have something to tell you. And we did. We, um, you know, I went into mom mode. We're going to fix this or get help. I don't think I ever intended to fix it, but I did intend to get you support that you needed, which we did before you left. But I knew it wasn't, you weren't healed. I knew you weren't fixed. Um, I knew. Yo, I want to go back to that moment where I told you, where I finally admitted to you that I was essentially, I was powerless and needed help. And for me, that was like a very pivotal moment because I had images of how that was going to go. I had the best case scenario is exactly what happened is that I told you I had been dealing with self-injury for, for years and I was hiding it and I couldn't deal with this in my life anymore. And you didn't go, what, why didn't you tell me why, what, how did I not know that you didn't freak out? You didn't get upset. You just said, okay, we'll get you help. 
thanks for letting me know. It was in that kind of sense. I don't remember the words for word, but that was the sense. That's the feeling I get when I remember that moment. I remember how hard it was. I remember we were sitting waiting for Sunny's to open because it was <laughs> hadn't opened yet. And that's the moment. I remember you were supportive of me and I knew you would be. I just had to get that courage up to finally admit something that I am flawed and that I am not perfect and I have made mistakes and and maybe not the daughter that you thought I was. Like all those things were what were going through my head and why I was afraid to do it. But also because I am the daughter you raised me to be is how I knew you would help. I think if I were to offer any advice to mothers or parents, and that that's exactly what you said, is to keep those lines of communication open with your child. And if they tell you something, you, you don't react. You just, well, you do react. You react with love and compassion, I think the worst thing you can do as a parent is to react with judgment. Put on that flat face, don't react, and just let your child talk. And don't just jump in and start trying to fix it. Sometimes people just need to talk. And the last thing they want is you to come in and offer suggestions. But you know what's funny about that? When you told me, I don't remember eating lunch. Oh yeah, I don't remember either. I think we did. I, I I'm think. sure we did, but I don't, I don't remember that part of the day. It's very yeah. interesting. What you just said, though, is the first thing is love, is start with love. I mean, discipline can come and those things can come, but the first reaction is love because that's what that kid needs. And also acknowledging, you know, thanking them for sharing that. I mean, for being willing to share it because it was going to, it would come out at some point, but if they don't tell you directly, it's probably going to come out in a worse place. So I think that's the, the first step is love there. Why do you think it was hard to admit that you had, that you had made a mistake when you, you knew that there wasn't going to be judgment? I'm really thinking about it for, as a mom. I'm thinking about that. Like, how do I communicate to my kids that it's okay for them to make mistakes? I feel like I've really tried to communicate that, but even still they might have this sense that they, that there's some expectation that they'll be perfect. I think I always want my mom to be proud of me. I want to make her proud and happy by the things and the choices I make. And I generally do. I feel like I do make good choices. I know she'll love whatever happens, but the negative things are just so much harder to admit and to say, you know, I messed up. And so my, my mom, like her, one of her favorite phrases is, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> Classic and oh my phrase. gosh, it's a dagger. You say it right now and I'll tell, say it right now to me. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm just really disappointed. <laughs> oh, did you feel that? That was a dagger. Oh my gosh. I mean, she still does it in a joking way to me, but it still hits me hard. So like, that's the thing is she doesn't get mad. She just gets disappointed, which is the worst. So I think that like, oh, she's going to be disappointed. She's not going to be mad. I don't care about mad. She'll be disappointed. So I think that's why I always want to make her proud. <laughs> made me very proud. I'm not disappointed. When I look back, that's really how I disciplined. I was not a spanker. You know, teaching them to make good decisions and I would be disappointed. And that's really, I didn't have to physically spank them or discipline them. It's that, you know, you love your mom, you want to do the right thing. When she's disappointed, it's devastating. And actually, I can remember that same feeling with my um, my own parents that, oh, I can remember one particular incident where I knew I really disappointed them. And when you have that and you internalize that, you 
teach yourself to make good decisions. You want your kids to make good decisions because they want to make good decisions. And I feel like that was a, an appropriate way to help my kids to learn to do that. Do you want to go public on the podcast with what you did that so terribly disappointed your parents? Dun, dun, dun. I do not. <laughs> oh, fair. Sure. That's really fair. Know. Maybe yeah, we'll get her fair. back in the future to share that. <laughs> that's a little teaser. I, I will share one um, parenting thing my mother did. I used to be a gum chewer. I do not chew gum now. And my parents had a service station and they used to buy in bulk way before there was Costco. But they used to buy me bulk size packages of Trident gum. And I would break those pieces in half so I get twice the amount of gum. Well, as a teenager, I was messy. Well, I'm sort of messy now too. (laughs) But I would leave those wrappers everywhere. And my mother in her wisdom said, you are not responsible enough and I am going to not buy you any more gum. I was like, what? And she never did. She stopped buying that gum because I was so irresponsible with my trash. And I think of that all the time that, you know, as a parent, if your child is doing something you don't like, well, then stop giving in to whatever it is that they're wanting to do or causing the difficulty. I've actually never heard that story. That's a good story. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, what is interesting about that is that I, I think comes back to mutual respect. And that's something that we've always talked about is so important. Our relationship is mutual respect. You respect your kid and your kid respect you. You weren't respecting your mom by leaving your trash around. It's not her responsibility to pick up trash. It's whoever left the trash. She was doing me a favor. Yeah, exactly. And then I just stomped all over it. Yeah. And that was instant discipline or whatever you want to call it. And it was like, okay, well, I understand now. If I do the wrong thing that um, there's going to be a consequence. So Vicki, you listen to the podcast, right? To this podcast. I do. Yes. That's the only podcast I listen to because (laughs) I'm of a certain generation and I don't have to have um, sound or music or whatever going 24 seven. I think it's a very generational thing, but I do listen to it. Um, I actually listen to it from the comfort of my chair on my computer, not on a mobile device. Oh, again, generational. Yeah. That is interesting to me. I am. I have had a lot of fun actually since we started the podcast. I didn't expect it this to happen, but I've had a lot of fun like showing people how to get podcasts on their phone. And I feel like it, they're willing to learn that and to, to learn something new and to do something different with their phone just so that they can listen to our podcast. I think that's really special. I don't know that every podcaster gets that, but we do. Mm-hmm. Well, can I share something? <laughs> sure. I have a ladies group that um, I've had actually since 2005. I've had um, a variety of ladies come through and this Current group is actually fairly consistent. And one of my ladies asked if, um, she's a podcast listener, and she asked if we could use the, um, the podcast and company questions um, as our discussion. And I said, well, you bring it up because it'd be awkward for me to do that. <laughs> but it was so cool. We met this past week and talked about it. And all of a sudden, all the ladies brought out their phones. And we had like this little tech session on how to download it and get started. So it was pretty cool because most of those ladies are more my age than the group that generally listens to podcasts. So it's exciting. It's going to be exciting to see um, what kind of discussion comes out of that. Yeah, I'm excited that you guys are using the podcast that way. That was not something that we had thought about. And I think it's really innovative and cool. So I'm glad that you're doing that. Well, what I'm wondering is, since you do listen to the podcast, what what has it been like for you to watch this process with Steph of her writing the book, of her launching the podcast, of her really courageously sharing her story? What's that been like for you? 
well, if you could see me right now, I'm going to cry. <laughs> we have tissues in place just because we thought this might happen. And there's nothing wrong with crying. There's nothing We've wrong addressed with that in a podcast episode. But it took unbelievable amount of courage for her to write this book, to come forward with um, the abuse. And every time she would, when she went to therapy, every time she would tell me what happened, you know, it's just a wound. It's a Band-Aid. You pull off and all of a sudden it's, it's just exposed. I think she came to terms with it way sooner than I did. I'm not sure I've totally come to terms with it. Can I admit that? That is okay. Um, it's still very hard. It's still very hard um, knowing there are people out there who haven't taken responsibility. But that doesn't define her life. It doesn't define my life. I, I think we need to be okay with distancing ourselves from people who are toxic. That's okay. But anyway, I'm very proud of her for coming forward, um, for writing this book. It's been out a fairly short amount of time, but the amount of impact it's had on people, uh, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible that people find value in it and find healing. And in the long run, it's going to be the, the absolute right thing to do. Well, Mom, I have to say, I am just so proud and excited that you're our first guest. I'm so proud of you for really being honest and sharing your heart with us. And you gave me everything I needed. And I have no regrets and no nothing that's happened in my life. And I think I, I don't think back and say, oh, why didn't so-and-so do this? Why didn't so-and-so do that? I feel like my life happened exactly how it was supposed to happen. And I'm so blessed that you've been, been and are still my mom. And you gave me all the skills I needed to be where I am today. So even though there was really hard times that we've both gone through, I'm so proud of where we are today. You know, I love, I do really love watching you guys together. And, and I really always have, I don't even know if, if you remember stuff the first time that we met, we've never talked about this, but we met actually in Orlando. Yeah. Oh, look, she's making a face at me now because um, your mom and I had gone down for a MOPS event, a Mothers of Preschoolers event. There was a convention down there and a group of us got a house and your mom brought you yeah, to I the, remember house. the house. Yeah. And I remember thinking, why is Vicky bringing her? Because she's not a mother of preschoolers <laughs> and she's not a mentor mom. And like, what are we going to have in common? And we had great conversations. So Me and you did? Like the whole group. Oh, okay. It was a whole big group. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I feel really bad. That I don't remember that. Wow. That's the first time we met? So yeah, that was the first time we met. Wow. Okay. I've known Beth forever. So I have really always enjoyed watching you guys together the whole time that, that I've gotten to know you. You have such a strong relationship. I think you've touched on some of what is sort of your secret sauce. I think mutual respect is part of that. I think that honest dialogue is a big part of that. I'm, I'm curious if you could share the story of how that, how that really blossomed into mother-daughter projects. Well, that happened quite by accident. <laughs> Steph bought a house back in 2013, and she had um, she had some professionals come in and do some work, and also had some bad experience experiences with those professionals. And she had one last big project, and that was to rescreen her porch. And she asked me, she said, "You know what? I've been doing some research, and I think that's something that we can do." And I was like, "Okay, let's do that." <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't very enthusiastic because oftentimes when she asked me to do something like that, it's not very enthusiastic, but sure enough, it was easy to do. And she said when she was doing her research that there were not a lot of good videos out there on how to rescreen a porch. And I said, you know what? Your background's in TV production. Uh, I think you should do that. 
so I got the iPhone out. I started filming and we did it. She edited it. It did okay. And we did, I think we did five more. Five more videos. Five more videos. And then we um, uploaded them to YouTube. And then it just, it just evolved. It just um, was very organic and continues to be very organic growth. It just seemed like something that we should do. And oops. Oh, I used the word should. I'm sorry. And then though. <laughs> it's something we wanted to do. It seemed like something we should do. And then we really took some time to think about it. And we decided it's something we wanted, we wanted to, do. to do. And that's actually right. that's what that five video was, was that it felt like something we should do. And then I said, okay, let's do five videos. And if after five, we really like this and we want to do it, then we'll continue. And that's what happened is we didn't just do it because we thought, we should it's like because people like the first one so you know we should just make more we decided we wanted to only fully committed to it and now you spend a lot of time doing that a lot of time it's basically full time prior to mother daughter projects i was keeping my two oldest grandchildren while their mother worked outside the home and i started doing that in the fall of 2010 and that took up, that was basically full time. And then 2015 was the year that my third grandchild was born. Her mother decided to stay home. So I was footloose and fancy free. <laughs> so really mother daughter projects took up the slack from where I was so invested in the daily lives of my grandchildren and really came at a time that um, I needed that. And I moved to Tallahassee in 2013 to be closer to my nibblings and that is how, that's how I ended up here. So like if I hadn't been in Tallahassee, Mother Daughter Projects wouldn't have happened. It was just kind of this series of things that we would have never planned, could have never planned that just was a very amazing, happy creation. You are, you were doing Mother Daughter Projects and it's this full-time endeavor and you're creating incredible projects and you're making these really wonderful videos and, and really guiding people on how to do their, to care for their own own home, this DIY for homeowners. And then Steph says, mom, I'm going to write a book. What did you think about that idea? Actually, I wasn't sure how that was going to work. Steph has talked about being dyslectic and it's extremely hard for her to read and extremely hard to write. Actually, I do all the writing. Um, when we do post, I do the tutorials and newsletter writing, things like that, because it is so difficult for her. And I was really, as a mom, thinking, you know, how is she going to do this? It is so hard to do, but she did it. Did it surprise you that she wanted to write a memoir? I don't think it really surprised me because she'd been talking about it and wanting it to, her story to um, hopefully help other people who are in this, a similar situation. I think when you put those kinds of stories in writing, uh, it gives, and people read them, it gives them permission to talk about their own story. And I, I truly believe that talking about the trauma in your life is a first step to healing. By Steph being so vulnerable to do that, it's like, hey, if this woman can do that, then then I can do it. And it just opens the door and gives gives other people permission to take that first step. I'm very proud of you for doing the work. Um a lot of people, including myself, um, are not willing to do the work. And I do feel guilt that maybe if I had taken care of my own depression, that wouldn't have trickled down to you. It's hard to do the work. It's hard to look at yourself and try to fix things. Sometimes it's easier to live with it, although we all know it really isn't that easy to live with. I admire anyone who's willing to go to a therapist, to go to a 
12-step study is willing to talk to someone and define healing, especially for moms, it's hard. I can remember, it's probably when you were four, when I was having such a difficult time with, Steph was very strong-willed. And at four, I didn't have the I didn't have the skills to cope with her. And I can remember sitting in my ladies group, just wishing someone would say, how are you? Because I was hurting so much. No one said, how are you? It was shortly after that that my mom said, well, we had scheduled a visit and she came and got her. It was such a relief. I had to send my child away. It's hard for a mom to admit that she can't deal with her child. She was gone probably two weeks and we met at Wildwood and picked her up. And I remember telling my mom, I said, you'll never know what this meant to me. I think now we have that vehicle in place where if a mom's hurting, you can talk to other moms. And there's there's no judgment. It's tough. Even though you want and you love your children, there are times when it's so incredibly difficult. I really struggled with anger when my kids were toddlers. And I remember reading a book by Julie Barnhill called Watch Out, She's Gonna Blow. It's like my favorite like self-help book ever. And it's not even really a self-help book, but it just helped me a lot. And she shares a story in there about going to, actually it was a women's Bible study and it was designed for moms. And she went and she said to her friends, I mean, these people were supposed to be her friends. And she said that she was struggling with anger towards her kids and she didn't know what to do. And she said, it was like crickets. You could hear a pin drop. And then someone finally said, okay, well, moving on. You know, they just completely were not there for her, probably because they hadn't done their own work and they weren't self-aware enough to know about their own or to be honest, you know, about their own inadequacies maybe is, is the way to, to phrase that. I actually think in some ways, Vicki, meeting you Right when I did, I think that my kids were about four and two. They might have been five and three when I actually got to meet you for the first time. I remember you saying, this is so silly. Someone said something about holding the babies. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll we need somebody to hold babies. Oh, yeah. We'll get Vicky to hold babies. And you were so direct and kind. And you said, I don't hold babies. I don't love to hold babies either. And I had always been afraid to say that, like that it made me less than as a mom to not want to like cuddle up with the newborns. And I really, I'm like, you know, you hit nine, 10, 11 months. Yeah, I want to hold you then. But until then, I just am a little bit uncomfortable. And it was like one of those little things, you were just being yourself, but it gave me a little bit of awareness into my own self and also, and also permission to be myself. So just one of those little like Vicky moments priceless. Well, you know, that changed, that changed when I got my own grandbabies, uh, which really surprised me because I, I really did not enjoy holding babies. But once I got those grandbabies, I would hold anybody's baby and I would do it now too, which is just so funny. And people who do remember me being very hands off, just laugh. Mom, you mentioned just recently that you felt like less than because you didn't bring us to all the things. I just wanted to say, we didn't do all the things, but the things that you had us do was you made me paint the house and you made me <laughs> fix the broken toilet and you made me pull up carpet and the living room to paint the concrete. You know, at the time, I got to admit, I didn't enjoy it. I was like, oh, why do we have to do all this? And mom's like, well, number one, it's our house and we take care of our house. And number two, we don't have all the money to give the people to do it. So we're going to do it. I, as I got older, I did start to enjoy it. And then obviously when I bought my house, I'm like, well, let's get to it. I didn't do all the things when I was younger, but 
I learned some really good, valuable skills. And guess what? That's what I'm doing today for a living, getting paid to do it. So that's pretty cool. I don't think if I took gymnastics that I would have been a gymnast when I grew up. So I think, uh, I think you did the perfect right choice for our activity, even if I didn't enjoy it exactly at the time. As we said, we work together on a daily basis. We see each other probably too much, but uh, <laughs> just the right amount. So we've been working together. It's now four years with um, that we've been doing DOI for homeowners by Mother Daughter Projects. So my question for you, because I'm not sure the answer is, what does it mean to you? What does it feel like? What does it mean to you to do Mother Daughter Projects and work with your daughter? <laughs> Who is not your friend? <laughs> Who is not my friend. She is my, um, she's my colleague when it comes to Mother Daughter Projects. I don't know. I find myself in a very unique position as someone who is 65 and I find myself with this whole, whole brand new career. It's not made up of people who look like me. Online content creators are for the most part, not in their sixties. They're not gray haired. And I just can't believe I get to do this on a daily basis. And one of the things that when my husband and I did premarital counseling was our um, counselor said that you should save some of your education for your golden years. And I always thought that meant that I was going to go back to school and get my PhD. And that's not what it means. And I'm finding my education is coming in the form of doing DIY projects. And I continue to learn every single day. I continue to learn something new every single day. And that keeps you um, your brain active. It gives you something to look forward to. I, I absolutely love learning new things. I absolutely love learning to use new tools. We just got a new scroll saw and... I can hardly wait to do my first project. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited. Now, how many people my age can say that? They're looking forward and excited to learning something new, learning a new skill. And basically, what I do now, teaching people, and that's what we do, it's really teaching people, showing people how to do things, is really something I've trained for actually my whole life. I was a 4-H member, and one of the things we had to do was demonstrations, and I absolutely love to do demonstrations. And, you know, one of the biggest fears people have is public speaking. And that's what demonstrating is, is public speaking. And I never had that fear. I maybe not have been as good with it as um, other people, but I love to demonstrate. I love to do the research. I love to do the project. I love to love to do it. And I went into um, home economics education, which is not a thing anymore. My program does not exist, but really what... I learned at school is exactly what I'm doing. I'm just teaching people in a whole different media instead of standing in front of a person and showing them how to, you know, sew a seam or cook a roast. I'm online in a video showing people how to do things. So I think it's kind of cool that what I trained for, even though it doesn't exist, it exists in another form. And I'm just thrilled that I'm able to, to do this. Not only do you learn through DIY projects, but you know all about social media. You run our Pinterest. We have crazy numbers on there because of you. So when people sometimes will think, oh, Steph does all the technology part. I do some, but you do a lot as well. So as much as you're doing the projects, you're doing behind the ton of behind the scenes stuff too. So it's amazing to work with you, Mom. Thanks. <laughs> I, I do need to say that one of the reasons why we're able to work together so well. Well, one, number one is mutual respect. Number two is we have a lot of fun. We do a lot of laughing. So much so that sometimes we, it's hard to get through a video because we're <laughs> laughing hard because you know what? Some of the stuff we do is pretty absurd. You know, when you're trying to set up a shot and also, also trying to do 
actual DIY. It's just funny. It just comes across Especially as funny. Especially when we film in a closet or yes. a bathroom or, or a hallway, the smallest space as possible. And, you know, something happens like a giant bug flies in front of the camera. That's happened I mean, twice. Or, or, yeah, it has happened twice. Or a big truck goes by. It's just funny. And, you know, we let the laughter come. And it's just, um, you know, we can't take ourselves too seriously. So Vicki, if people want to know more about mother-daughter projects, what you and Steph are creating, where's the best place for them to do that? Well, it depends on your age. If you're young, <laughs> you can go to Instagram. If you're my age, you can go to Facebook. If you're a male between 35 and 45, you can go to YouTube. <laughs> there are lots of places. They are laughing at me right now. And if you want everything. And actually, we, if you want everything, you can go to our website, that's, which is that's motherdaughterprojects.com, or you can also use DIY for homeowners. Both of those will get you to the same place, but there are lots of places to find us. I'm wondering, other than the Discovering Our Scars podcast, which I, I know is your number one podcast, what, what else are you into right now? What are you reading? Is there a book you're really into or a TV show that you're binge watching? Like what, what else are you doing? I have a whole bunch of old family handyman magazines that I got at a yard sale that I'm going through <laughs> and finding tool tips and things like that. Cause I'd like to, I'd like to share those cause they're really, really cool. But how nerdy is that? She wants to reinvent them into videos. That's because they're all written. And so well, she wants in a way us to that, share them through video. That's in a way idea. that's easy um, to digest because they are, they are really good tips and people aren't going to go back to those old magazine and magazines and look them up. And I just think it's good content. I have to ask, how much did you pay for the magazines at the yard sale? <laughs> they're probably free. <laughs> they were not free. Oh. I think I got the whole lot for a dollar. <laughs> And how many magazines do you think are in there? 30, 40. I don't know. It's a lot. That's <laughs> another thing about my mom is she loves yard sales. Well, I got to tell a story on Beth. I found something at a yard sale for Beth. And Beth is not keen on <laughs> yard sale stuff. But she had done a Facebook Live. It was all through Lent. And she was talking about different um, versions of the Bible. And I went to this yard sale and they had a page in a frame of one of these Bibles that she had talked about. The Geneva Bible. Geneva Bible. And I thought, oh, this would be so cool for Beth. So I took it to her and I said, Beth, I got you something at a yard sale. <laughs> and the look she gave me, I don't think I'll ever forget. It was like, uh. It was so, I mean, I felt bad. She's probably thinking it's a dirty sock. So oh, no. But I gave it to her and she was thrilled. I'm so sorry that I made a face, but I have to tell you, I have it, you know, I have just um, changed jobs. And so I have this new office and it, it is prominently displayed with a um, sign under it. It's from a yard sale. <laughs> don't touch it. Well, it was really funny that because just about the same time that you gave me that, like just within a couple of weeks before that, I had actually bought myself a page out of that Bible. And I knew what a page out of that Bible was worth. And so I was really shocked that you had gotten such a good deal at the yard sale. But I know that that is part of your, that's one of your talents is to get that. So I have that in my office. I also have, you brought me a framed thing about how children should act in church. That was from an old book. I have that up there. And 
like the 1920 discipline of the Methodist church as, as part of a, a collection of books and some sermons. All of that is very proudly displayed in my office. So your, your office is just basically a big old yard sale. It sounds like, <laughs> wow, my mom's influence on you. Well, when I got those, those old books, I mean, I, I thought long and hard. I stood there in front of that, <laughs> that, that guy's bookcase. It's an old pastor. And I thought, oh, should I get these? I'm not sure. You know, after the first reaction, I'm not sure <laughs> she would like these. So I took a chance and I got them. I thought, you know, I hate to leave them here. They're very old books and they're by someone that Beth knew. And I thought, I just need to get them. And I got them and they were like a buck or something. <laughs> and I love them. So thank you. Thank you for thinking of now me. Now that you've given her a lot of stuff, so she's built up the confidence, you should like give her an old sock for yard sale and see her reaction. <laughs> when I start going back, Beth, you're on my list. <laughs> Everyone's always on her list. I can't wait for the treasures. <laughs> Vicki, thank you so much for taking the time out to be here with us today and for being vulnerable with us and, and for participating in our honest conversation. We really, we really do love you and appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed being here. Thanks, mom. At the end of each show, we like to end with questions for reflection. These are some questions we've written based on today's show, and you are welcome to answer them in your head on paper. We also have a PDF you can download from our website. And if you don't want to answer them, then we'll see you next week. Question number one. Do you think of your mom as your friend or as your mom? Reflect for a moment on your relationship. Number two. What's been the most challenging part of the relationship between you and your mom or the mother figure in your life? Number three, have you ever kept something from your mom or mother figure because you wanted to protect her feelings? Have you ever done this to protect your own feelings? Why did you feel the need to do that? Number four, what is your favorite memory with your mom? This has been the Discovering Our Scars podcast. Thanks for joining us.